0: Hello, I'm Katie Daly. Thanks for joining me on Bluegrass Stories, which I produce with my friends Akira Otsuka and Howard Parker. Musicians are often closely identified with a certain instrument. It's a wonderful opportunity to get to own an instrument played by one of your musical heroes. I had a chance to speak with Doyle Lawson at the Delaware Valley Bluegrass Festival last August, where he talked about owning one of Ira Leuven's mandolins. Doyle Lawson at the uh, Delaware Valley Bluegrass Festival in Woodstown, New Jersey. He's just finished uh, the set, and the uh, festival's closing down. But uh, last year at the IBMA Awards show, you walked by and you said, hey, I bet you didn't know I have Ira Leuven's mandolin. And I didn't know that. So <laughs> we've been chasing each other since yeah. last September, trying to set up an interview time, and we finally came about. So let me see this mandolin.
1: Well, I'll uh, let me clarify. I have one of his. One of his. I had a lot of members in his in his day, but uh, it's a little A model, and. Uh, what year
0: do you suspect it is?
1: I I traced it. It looks to be either a, a 1923 or 24 or something mm-hmm. in there. Best I can figure out. And uh, the serial numbers were really crazy, but look at the truss rod, uh, because before 22, uh, 20- they didn't have truss rods. Oh, so, ah, uh, okay. But, uh, and I suspect, I suspect that probably Ira at some point in time took yeah. a dark finish off of the top because it looks like it, the original color was, was the dark color. Mm-hmm. But he was no, noted for uh, working on instruments, actually putting them back together after they had been damaged for what or for some, whatever reason. but uh, And... Uh, the keys are, the keys are certainly, little gold flake keys that, that are closed back. That certainly is not what came on it, but, uh, uh I left it just as, like, like it was when I got it. And, uh, uh, but he, uh, a friend of mine down in Georgia bought this from Ira in 1962. And, uh, he told me the story, he was t- tell me about it. He, he liked, uh, he liked the Lubin brothers. He liked the James and Martha Carson, the early, he liked the way the, the early mandolin players played, uh, not necessarily um, as bluegrassy as Bill and other people, but he liked uh, James Carson, the iron Lubin and people like that. He was t- tell me about this mandolin. He bought it in 1962. When he went up to get it, IRA was hedging a little bit and didn't really want to sell it after he got there. He lived uh, just outside of Atlanta, Georgia. So he drove to Nashville to get it. And he said, when he got there, IRA was kind of hedging on it. Now, I drove all the way from Atlanta up here and I've got the money with me. So he bought the, the, IRA let him have it uh, for $275.
0: Wow. So was that a lot of money for a mandolin? 1962,
1: for one like this, yes. Yeah, okay. Uh, you, you could probably so you can find them for a hundred bucks. You know. uh, but uh, that was quite a bit of money, but because it was ours and he was a fan, you know, and uh, he wanted it, and he played a little bit. So anyway, uh, when Steve Gully was in my band, I wanted to do uh, some uh, duet kind of living style of stuff, and I called uh, uh, Eugene and I said, "Can I, can you, would you loan me that Iron Man one? cause I want to do some, some things that uh, maybe not exactly living, but sort of like that. But well, I borrowed it, and as it turned out, Steve left and I kind of put it on the shelf. So I took it back to uh, Eugene and I said, I know that you, you don't want to sell it, but if you ever do, would you call me first? well I won't send it but I will if I ever decide well some years go by and uh, one day I get a call it was was from Eugene and uh, he told me that his health had failed he'd had a stroke and Uh uh, his health had failed him and uh, that he's not able to play anymore but the bottom line was that he uh, he needed he needed some money he was out He was out of money, and uh, his medicine was running out. So, he said, I've got a little uh, F2 Gibson that that I'll let you have. Uh, And I said, well, what what about the the iron? He said, well, I don't don't know if I want to sell it at all. I said, what did you say yeah. that you can't play anymore? He said, well, you're right, I can't. And I said, well, okay, I, here's what I said, I don't even, really, I'm not even interested in the F2, but I'll take it. And uh, it was quite a bit of money he wanted. Fionn uh, PR was probably more than both of them were worth at the time. But I said, I'll tell you what, Lou, I'll I'll, uh, I'll give you the money, but I'll, I'll, if you send me the higher, cause I'm gonna flip the F2, I won't keep it at all. And, uh, I said, I'll send my driver down to and, and get it. He said, well, it, it's in, I've got it in the pawn shop.
0: Oh my gosh.
1: I said, you what? He said, yeah, he said, they're both in there. I said, well, how much did they give you for He said, well, they gave me $600 for both of them. I said, okay, I'll tell you what to do. I'll give you the money that you need and I'll send another $600 to get them out of Hawk. So I, I had two drivers at the time and I told them what to do. I said, go down and go to his house, get him, take him, get him out of the hawk, and then give him this money. So uh, that's how I wound up with it.
0: Well, were you holding your breath the whole time till they got it out of that pawn shop?
1: Yeah, I was scared of him that that it would be gone. Right. So, uh, but they, they went and got it, and, uh, and uh, Eugene, uh, he passed not too long after that.
0: That's sad.
1: And, uh, but he uh, he was a great guy. He loved, he loved the early music. Uh, he sent me a lot of... Uh, radio programs by the, the old Swanee River Quartet and, and James and Martha Carson, when, when they were on the WSB in Atlanta, Georgia. And, and, but he he loved it and, uh, and, he's, and he said, you know, there's nobody I'd rather have than you. And so I, I've kept it and uh, I hadn't had it too long, I guess, when, uh, when I did, uh, We did the CD of Old Bluegrass Gospel. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we did, uh, with Barry Scott, and Jamie Daly, and Del Perry, and, uh, and the, the two Jesses playing the, the twin fiddles. And we did one of the movements, uh, uh, That's All It's Asking to Me. And I used this man on that. I told, uh, he told Eugene that he had used this man on a lot of the, uh, the gospel stuff. Near my God to the and uh, 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 a bunch of the stuff they recorded, you know, that uh, that was one that stands out. Uh, just rehearsing, uh, uh, a whole bunch of them, I can't remember all of them, yet. Uh, so I wanted to use it on that song, and, and then uh, sometime later, Steve Gully called, wanted to know if I would. Do a sermon with him on the, uh, I guess his first solo recording. He said, uh, You know, he said, When I came down to rehearse or try out for the job, his dad came with him and he said, You and me and dad sing You're uh, My God to Thee. And he said, I wonder, would you do that with me on the record? And I said, Sure. And I said, I'll go get one better. I'll bring that uh, IRA member. Man- so I used it on that one too. And I've used it on some other stuff. I can't remember what Every chance I get, I use it, you know. It's a, it's a little A model, and it's, you know, the, we didn't like them because they had a short scale and they're, they're harder to play down here because of you know, the cr- cramped space. But is it, a sweet little sound. He would probably He played, you know, and he would do uh, uh, things like that. Uh, but I, again, with a, with, a, with a less stiff pink. You get it more of a tone like he did because he didn't use a heavy pick
0: like, right like well I we did. dropped the one we haven't been I able to find it in the grass did you step on it no i thought i had it, but i don't see it well we'll find it no, before it you matter. head no, out
1: i've got plenty of them but
0: uh, i noticed you have a kleenex or something back here what
1: is that well in the studio you get overtones right from, from here to the bridge sometimes it doesn't show in your live shows but in the studio it does so that's kind of a damper mm-hmm. to, to keep the overtones down. and I, it's just Kleenex. All
0: right. Do you do anything special to preserve this, or
1: I keep it in a in a safe, uh, and I keep the humidity gauge, and uh, periodically I get all of you know I get it out and check it, make sure everything's okay. Uh, you, they can get uh, as well as getting too much humidity they can get too dry as well
0: oh i see okay so you
1: try to keep the humidity around you know between 50 to 70 or something like that and it, it, that's good you get start getting below 40 it gets a little too dry right and, uh, uh, but uh, and I, I keep it put up and when i'm not playing it i always let my strings take the tension off the strings that way, the the neck doesn't bow from, from not being used.
0: Right. And, uh, well, you've got a treasure there, Doyle. I do.
1: I I do treasure it. I uh, I tell you that one of the biggest thrills of my life was a, uh, was an 18 year old kid and I just had gone to work for Jimmy Martin playing banjo and uh, not too long after I got to Nashville, Ira uh, uh, was, was shot by his wife. Uh, five, you can't sugarcoat five, that, five, can, five, can you? War is in the newspapers. Yeah. In fact, his IRA uh, had a bullet in his wrist that they couldn't, didn't remove because they were afraid it would, would damage them, his nerves and stuff. And he said it's still there and it'll be there till I die. And it was, you know, because they were afraid. You know, back then, today they could probably say, oh, I have no problem, but. 1963, it wasn't quite as advanced as it, But I uh, but I was uh, Jimmy, I stayed with Jimmy, uh, with him, and uh, one night he, he said, I'm going down to the hospital to see our Lumis. You want to go with me? Well, see, I, was, I was such yeah. a big fan of the Lumis when I heard uh, uh, the Weapon of Prayer, and then uh, when the Korean War came along, uh, they had a, from Mother's Arms to Korea, which was big, you know, especially in my part of the country. And uh, the fact is, uh, I was about six or seven years old, and and, uh, my brother and me and a couple other kids and people would would ask us in church if we would sing from Mother's Arms to Korea. Wow! Because a lot of the the young men uh, that I were serving were serving, including my brother, you know, and some cousins. And one of my brother's best friends uh, went to Korea and never made it back. And, uh, and then one another uh, local, uh, he uh, he was MIA and they never accounted for him to this day. And, uh, but uh, but so I, I love the Moonmen brothers and of course then up until uh, when I stopped dreaming, uh, Kim Nelson didn't want them recording the Irish Army when they do some secular music. Kim thought it might hurt their, their their career, but they came up with uh, they, they got that yes. uh, when I stopped dreaming, uh, well, and that he uh, so let him do that one. And that that, down that, down that was and the one that that allowed him to continue on. You know, but again, mm-hmm. I was I was a big fan, and just getting to sit there and I didn't know my mouth the whole time. I really, listening every word. Yeah. I know Jimmy introduced me, and, and but uh, but uh, he and Ira talked. Uh, of two hours or better about music, about life, about their personal lives and things. You know.
0: In front of you? Yeah. Wow. Did
1: he have any words of advice to you? As a I listened to what he had to say, and while he didn't probably direct them to me, uh, I can see where uh, getting, getting on the wrong track would be certainly detrimental to, to your health, your happiness hmm uh, but I remember him saying that, that, that he was was gonna clean all that up. He, he said, I used to get mad and after the offering, I'd go down and it, then on the lower part of Broadway, the old the old bridge crossed the Cumberland River. hmm And he said, I'd walk out on that bridge, take the mammon case and Kaysen off, and just throw it off the bridge. Things like that, you know. he said, I'm not gonna do that anymore, you know. But you know, it's it's documented that Ira was was a tortured person. You know, but what a talent! You know, what a talent! You know, I loved him and Charlie. I got to know Charlie quite well, and and I treasure that friendship. But Charlie Charlie never he had a great career after Ira, and he separated, but he never got on Ira.
0: Right.
1: If he and I always thought if you know, Ira had lived that he and Charlie would have gone back together. But uh, because up to the very end, Charlie talked about Ari. We called him Ari. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but uh, uh, to me, and, and we've got a lot of great brother duets, but I always thought that I and Charlie was just the best.
0: Right. Well, I certainly appreciate your sharing this with us. Uh, let me look at that once again
1: okay yeah. Well, it's, it's a sweet little man I love to play it and it's uh, it's not made for what I do all the time but but on special stuff and it's a, it's a super little man and the, the, the history behind it uh, just to, for me every time I, when I pick it up and I get to hold it I, I think about iron an and, and you know he, he played this on it. You'd think that a guy has been in the music as long as I have would get over the shivers and the goosebumps. I still get it. I do.
0: Thank you, Doyle. That was Doyle Lawson at the Delaware Valley Bluegrass Festival talking about what it means to him to own one of Ira Leuven's mandolins. A video of this interview first appeared on bluegrasstoday.com. You can see it there today. I'm Katie Daly. Thanks for listening to Bluegrass Stories.